0: welcome to the trinity western chapel podcast as a vibrant part of life at twu chapel creates opportunities for us to engage with god's story of redemption in jesus christ through his word prayer and worship we're glad you're listening and hope that you encounter god's heart for you and the world wonderful pleasure to be with you all at least digitally speaking uh, for your chapel service and it was my great hope to be with you personally but circumstances being what they are uh, we can't do that uh, in person but we can do it this way and I'm delighted to be able to spend a little bit of time with you talking about the importance of and really the profound depth of the crucifixion of Jesus and we have a couple of texts over the next two sessions where i'd like to speak with you about that and the text we draw from is luke chapter 23 verses 44 to 47. now i'm going to read them and then elucidate some truths i see in the events unfolding here so luke 23 verses 44 to 47. it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two then jesus calling out with a loud voice said father into your hands, I commit my spirit, and having said this, he breathed his last." You know, it's very gloomy phrasing here. The scene being set is this hill, this windswept hill, where these Roman centurions and a few followers of Jesus are gathered to watch him and two other people, two criminals, die, ignominious deaths, stripped bare, humiliated, and beaten to a bloody pulp. And there he is, dying. It's interesting that it says that about the sixth hour there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed you know what's interesting about that and before i move on to the meat of what i want to talk about is the poetry with which the gospel expresses things isn't just rhetorical poetry it's not just to give a visceral sort of response but there's some real depth to this the sun's light was failing even as jesus himself was having the life drained out of him but as that moment on the cross when the son of god his light was shining not in a hope-filled way because everyone around them was in such despair but there was something about this plan this paradoxical plan where god would take sin and turn it on itself so that we could all be free of the burden of our sin by god taking on himself and feeling the pain and feeling the separation the son from the father feeling that forsakenness so that one day we won't have to there's a light in that there's a glimmer at the end of the tunnel even though the sun's light was failing and then jesus calls out with a loud voice father into your hands i commit my spirit And then he breathed his last you know i didn't used to be a christian i was a muslim for most of my life until the age of 27 when i bowed my knee to Christ but before that I very much thought that the crucifixion of Jesus was the biggest insult that Christianity ever foisted on the world now I wasn't angry about it I wasn't shaking my fist at Christians for believing this I just thought it was simply silly the idea that God himself could become incarnate the one who creates a universe that is billions of light years across but could also have the the, attention to such infinitesimal details that he creates, of course, subatomic particles that act in strange ways. This god, with his majesty and power, would become encapsulated and eventually trapped, so it seemed, in the body of a human being, the same body that sweats, needs to eat, falls asleep, has sore feet when he walks too far, and eventually dies at the hands of the very sinners he created. And I thought this was the biggest insult to god that any religion had ever foisted on the world the reason I thought that was because there was something very important for me as a Muslim to believe and you've heard Muslims say this all over the world you've heard Muslims say this phrase Allahu Akbar you've heard this now normally in the West when we hear a Muslim say Allahu Akbar we usually hear it over the media we usually hear it on television or on the radio or some other such medium and usually when they say Allahu Akbar something horrible follows something explodes or someone loses their head or whatever it might be This is terribly unfortunate because most Muslims don't use that phrase Allahu Akbar as a terrorist chant or as a battle cry of sorts the phrase literally means God is greater Allahu Akbar means God is greater so for the Muslim the central core of Islam is the pursuit of the worship of a God who is the greatest possible being there can be no being greater than him that was my central pursuit And because i had encountered a christianity that suggested that jesus was some sort of demigod not really sort of understanding what the what the christian view of the incarnation was all about that pictured the cross as this miserable failure where darkness was just everywhere and that god himself seemed defeated i thought this was a terrible insult to god's greatness surely god would not be trapped in a body and surely the greatest possible being would not die at the hands of the very sinners he created. And I'd asked a lot of Christians, what does this whole thing mean? What is this cross all about? And they would say things like he died for our sins. That's what Good Friday is all about. He died for our sins. And I'd say, well, what does that mean? You keep saying this phrase, he died for our sins, and I wasn't quite sure what it meant. Did he die because of our sins? Did he die for the sake of our sins? Did he, decide, did, did he die to eradicate our sins? Did, did our sins cause him to die? What does all this mean? And of course, the answer in a lot of ways is yes to all those questions. But many Christians didn't have a response to what I was saying. But some few did. And they began to show me what the cross is all about. What is the philosophical reason for a cross? What is the theological reason for a cross? What is the existential reason for the cross? What does it speak to? Not only in terms of theology, how I understand God, but what does it speak to in terms of how I understand myself? It has that broad of a range. It's not just a obscure event to an obscure Jew in an obscure province of the Roman Empire that we celebrate on Easter. No, it's an event of intense significance, of amazing significance, not only for those who saw it, but for everyone in history who came before and who have come after, and including, and in fact, the entire world. I've since come to understand what's so good about Good Friday. You know, I've often said this is that it was a good, it's a good Friday for us because it was a terrible Friday for him. What do I mean by that? What do we mean? How can this Good Friday be good when it marks one of the darkest days in human history when someone utterly innocent was charged with the guilt of blasphemy and in fact stood in front of God as if he was guilty of all the sins created by all the human beings in the history of the world, even though he himself was sinless? It's deep and it's rich, encompassing all of life's pursuits, from philosophy to theology to meaning and dignity in each of our lives the chief thing it does for me you know as I said for that that, that pursuit of who God is is that it speaks to an understanding of what it means for God to be truly great for him to be truly great it's an amazing thing to think about when I would ask my Christian friends you're telling me that your God gets trapped in a body and that body subjects itself to torture on purpose at the hands of detestable, lowly sinners, and he dies for them. Couldn't God just forgive sin? Couldn't God have just said, you know what, you all have done your atonements you've done your daily prayers you've done enough good works you've tried your best yeah you've fallen short but you ask me sincerely and like a parent who talks to a child says you know what son you've tried your best I forgive you can't God just use his might and his power and his majesty to just forgive them their sins why do we need to have a cross in the first place what is the point of this thing other than divine child abuse or some form of torture that is just for sheer delight why do we need this in the first place You know it's interesting because when you look at all of this, the cross isn't just a matter of Jesus dying this death that's dramatic in terms of this greatest story ever told and he eventually overcomes it through the resurrection. No, there's so much more to it than all of that. Something that really spoke to my heart as I began to explore this more and more was the deep implications for my own life, but also for who God actually is. You know, I had searched for a God who is the greatest possible being. Allahu Akbar the greatest possible being. I must find Him. And where is He? The God who is the greatest possible being would be the kind of God who would take the paradoxes of life and somehow, the seemingly unsolvable, take two things which seem seem to be the opposite of each other and fuse them with meaning and solve the paradox for us. When we think about it in so many ways, that's exactly what the Incarnation tells us that God incarnates himself into man so that he is 100% human, and he's also 100% God. I thought to myself as a Muslim how can this possibly be this sounds like nonsense to me I mean the idea that you could be human if you're 100% human that means you're not at all God because human beings are limited creatures that have no capacities to have infinite knowledge and infinite power so if you're human you by definition cannot be God but if you claim to be 100% God then you have no limitations which means you cannot possibly be human how can you be both but the incarnation resolves the paradox because Jesus has in himself. All the qualities 100% of the qualities it takes to be human but he's not merely human you and I have our limitations we have physical limitations we have moral limitations we have knowledge limitations but Jesus has none of those things except that which he chooses to limit himself to so if he has a limitation in knowledge is because he limited himself he has perfect control so he has a body he has a soul he has a mind all the things required to be human but he has them perfectly. So where you and I have our limitations because of our imperfections, we are imperfect human beings. We're mere human beings. Jesus is not merely a human being. He is the ultimate human being. He is 100% of what it means to be human in a perfect sense. But he's also he also has the nature of God. He has that infinite nature, that all-knowledge, that never-beginning, never-existing component to who he is. And so in Jesus, we see a paradox resolved in a person. It would then make sense that this person's actions would solve the paradoxes of our lives. You know, I think of the paradox of justice and mercy, or justice and forgiveness. Think of the paradox here. What is justice? Justice is getting what you deserve. That's what justice is. You do something, you deserve punishment, or you deserve praise. You get what you deserve. That's what justice is all about. Mercy. Is getting what you don't deserve if you speak of an earned mercy if you speak of the kind of mercy where you can get mercy because you've done enough good things to earn God's favor you've prayed enough you've gone to church enough you've given enough to the charities you've done enough good things for people who you don't know you've done enough good things to earn God's mercy you haven't gotten mercy you've gotten what you deserve you got justice so you cannot possibly earn mercy It's an oxymoron to talk about it that way so we have the reality of justice and every one of us knows that we've cried out for justice against our enemies or against those who have wronged us and the world is talking about justice now it's one of the chief buzzwords of the world right now is justice but justice is getting what you deserve but then there's mercy and every one of us has messed up and every one of us has sought mercy from those we've wronged or even god himself how do you marry these two How can you be maximally just, but also maximally merciful? How can you give what people deserve, yet also give what they don't deserve at the same time? How can you do that? You see, if God is truly great, then he would be the maximally just being. He would be the greatest possible judge. There would be no partiality, and he would give what is required, what is fair, and he would do what is right. So the maximally just God has to be perfectly just and maximally just But the God of the Bible and the God of other religious systems as well, as they describe him, is also maximally merciful. He has to exhibit the maximum amount of mercy possible. So how can he be maximally just, giving everyone what they deserve, yet also be maximally merciful, giving them what they don't deserve? How can he do both without violating either? How can he do that? Because if he's maximally merciful and he gives mercy, then he isn't just in those those instances. And so he compromises his justice. But if he is maximally just, then he's never quite merciful, is he? And if he does that, then he compromises his mercy. How does he balance the two or express the two at the same time? And the cross is all about that, about the way in which God was maximally just and maximally merciful at the same time. Let me explain. Sin was punished on the cross, but Jesus is the one who took it for us. So justice was actually meted out because sin was punished. Now, someone might say, yeah, but the problem is that's not justice, because the wrong person got punished, the innocent party got punished, and that's the exact opposite of justice. How could that possibly be just? And here's what I would say to you. As a trained lawyer, I've got enough uh, uh, understanding of how agreements work and how contracts work and how debts are paid to know that oftentimes the person who does not owe the debt is the one who's charged with paying it back. It's called a guarantor. So, if someone has a debt they owe to somebody else and let's say i want to go in for a loan and i have very bad credit i have wealth on other loans before i have not paid my bills and all these things but i desperately need to have a loan in order to survive and i go to the bank and i say i want a loan and they say well you've got a terrible credit history you've got a terrible history of paying your debts back uh, why would i give you a loan for money that i know you're not gonna be able to pay back you have no ability to do it but in walks a billionaire someone who has so much money they don't know what to do do with it all and they've never never gone bad on a debt before in their life they've always paid back uh, or always paid what they owed in fact they've never had a loan in their life because they never needed one and so here comes this billionaire and the billionaire says to the bank this man needs a loan you know he can't pay it back i will co-sign for it i will be his guarantor i will tell you that if he goes against his obligations you can come after me and i'm good for the money happens all the time all the time now when that guarantor signs he's saying I vouch for this person or if this person does go back on their debts you can pay you can come to me for the payment that's exactly what we have going on with with the cross is that Jesus God the Son incarnate tells God the Father I know these sinners have acted poorly I know that they deserve death and their debt to you is great but I have no debts of my own to pay I have infinite resources and I will guarantee their debt so when the father comes after the son not out of maliciousness but because the son has willingly submitted himself to the father and he says son there's a debt and they can't pay it unless they go to hell and be destroyed or separated from me in an eternal torment and the son says I have no debts of my own to pay. I will pay it for them. It's not unjust. It's perfectly just, because the Son willingly laid his life down to pay the debt for each one of us. I remember Jesus' words when he said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord, and I have the power to raise it back up again. Jesus was not dragged kicking and screaming to that cross. He went willingly for you and for me. And in that, justice was served because it was fair, because Jesus willingly paid our price. And so justice is served because sin is punished, and sin gets what it it deserves. But mercy is also given at the same time without compromise, because Jesus pays the price for us, and the mercy for us is that all we but need do is accept the gift he's given. All we need to do is acknowledge the price He's paid for us and that that debt has been paid and we can have the benefit of that. But unlike the guarantor situation, with the cross there's more. But the cross with something delightfully more, is that with the guarantor situation, the person who has bad debts or who, who, makes ba- who makes bad on their debts can get off scot-free, but not so in the Christian faith. Jesus guarant- is a guarantor for our payment of sin. But it's not so that we can go on sinning it's so that we can look more and more like him you see there's a transaction that happens here friends is that when jesus says i will pay the price for you he doesn't simply say now go and do whatever you want he says go and sin no more in other words what he's saying is this i will pay your debt but you're going to give me something in return you're going to give me you all of you and i get to change you from inside Maximal justice, maximal mercy coming together for maximal sanctification so that we look more and more like His Son day by day. But then there's something even more than just the merging of paradoxes to see about who this wonderful God is, and the cross tells you of this. There's more than that. It gives you the heart and the character of God. The cross tells you the heart and the character of God as the greatest possible being. Remember that? When I said that, that my pursuit as a Muslim was to pursue a God who was the greatest possible being. There can be no being greater than God. Allahu Akbar! Well, the cross demonstrates God's greatness in what was done there. And how wonderfully it was done for you and for me. I want you to think about this for a moment. If God is the greatest possible being, then if he was the greatest possible being, he would naturally express the greatest possible ethic. And what is the greatest possible ethic? The greatest possible ethic is naturally, and of course, love. All other ethics flow from that, from that expression of love. And so Jesus expresses love in the greatest possible way, but how so? Follow me on this. The greatest possible being expressing the greatest possible ethic in the greatest possible way is naturally the result we would find, logically, the case. What is the greatest possible way to express love now we have many expressions of love you know as a parent i've done things for my children i've gone to their games i've cheered them on but i've also seen that there's a part of me in that whole thing it's a part of a selfishness in me because i'm proud of them and i want them to see um, how proud of them i am and i sort of live vicariously through them my wife when we were and dating I would surprise her at work or I would give her chocolates or a nice note and that's wonderful because you want to express love that way but there's a certain element of selfishness even in our selflessness because I want her to think of me as a Romeo to her Juliet um, uh, this kind of a thing now of course don't go too far with that analogy because that story ended badly but the point is is that in most of our expressions of love there's a certain selfishness to the whole thing because you want to be seen as the one who gives selflessly but All of us have have been capable of expressing love in a selfless way. Ask any parent who has children, ask any husband, or a wife, or a brother and a sister, and you'll notice this, that all those other expressions of love are good, but they're not selfless. The true selfless expression of love is when you do something for someone else, that benefits them but hurts you. When you give of yourself and you're willing to experience pain, even without credit for it necessarily, in a way that helps the other person but hurts you. The greatest expression of love is selfless love, and the greatest expression of selfless love is self sacrifice. So follow me here. If God is the greatest possible being, He would naturally express the greatest possible ethic, which is love, in the greatest possible way, which is self-sacrifice. In no other religious system in the world do we see a God who expresses self-sacrifice other than the Christian faith. In the story we just read in Luke chapter 23, where Jesus commits his spirit to the Father's hands in a moment of terrible darkness, and why does he do it? He does it out of love for you and for me, so that our debt could be paid did you notice in this passage when the light was failing but the sun's light god the sun's light was beginning to shine through the act he had done that the veil of the temple was torn in two the veil that was meant to keep the people away from the holy of holies from the center point of god's actual presence in the temple that was torn in two when jesus died on the cross that was the symbol quite a real event but it was a symbolic event as well because it showed that there was no longer going to be a separation between God and humanity that our shame and our guilt now resolved through the paradoxes of justice and mercy being dealt with is going to be gone now because of what Jesus did the greatest possible being expressing the greatest possible ethic in the greatest possible way which is self-sacrifice proving himself to be Allahu Akbar the God I was looking for who was the greatest possible being all at once He solves paradoxes, and he shows himself to be the greatest possible being. Why? So that he can have communion with you and with me. You know, when I was a Muslim, I said that the cross was the single greatest insult to God's greatness because it showed a weakness. How could God die at the hands of his very sinners? And then I began to see that it shows a tremendous strength, that he tackles sin head on. Doesn't just say how to get out of sin, but provides a way out of sin himself by doing something about it for us. And I think of the quote by James Stewart in his book, The Strong Name listen to what he says this is such a powerful statement he says it is a glorious phrase of the New Testament that he led captivity captive the very triumphs of his foes it means he used for their defeat he compelled their dark achievements to subserve his ends not theirs they nailed him to the tree not knowing that by that very act they were bringing the world to his feet they gave him a cross, not guessing that he would make it a throne. They flung him outside the gates to die, not knowing that in that very moment they were lifting up all the gates of the universe for the King of Glory come in. They thought to root out his doctrines, not understanding that they were implanting imperishably in the hearts of men the very name they intended to destroy. They thought they had God defeated with his back against the wall, pinned and helpless and defeated. They did not know that it was God himself who had tracked them down. He did not conquer despite the darkness, mystery of evil, God conquered through it. That's what the cross is all about. It is not only the paradox of justice and mercy finding resolution. It is not only God, the greatest possible being, expressing the greatest possible ethic in the greatest possible way, which is self-sacrifice. It is God taking the ultimate paradox of sin and taking that and how it interacts with life and taking sin, turning it on itself so that all of us could have eternal life because the debt is paid. That's what it means for him to conquer, not despite the dark mystery of evil, but to conquer through it. And then one last thing I'll I'll say. Before we wrap up, and I'll join you again for the next chapel. It's this The cross is the ultimate statement of human dignity. I know it sounds like it wouldn't be that because our sin is so great and terrible that there needs to be a cross, but I want you to think about it for a moment. The cross, in one sense, is an ultimate compliment to you and to me because it says this about your actions. Your actions in this life echo into eternity, they matter so much. That they affect and they move the heart of God. Our immorality has moved Him in compassion to fix the situation. If your actions were irrelevant, there would be no need for a cross. But the cross is the ultimate statement that your actions have eternal consequences, and they matter to God. What more compliment could you get than that what you do affects the Almighty? And the cross is the ultimate statement of that. It it dignifies your actions with eternal significance. So what happened on that cross when Jesus gave up his final breath and breathed his last and committed his spirit to the Lord, and the temple veil was ripped in two as the light seemed to fade, was that a glimmer of light was actually happening, that paradoxes were resolved, that the greatest possible being showed himself to to act in the greatest possible way and dignify you and me by taking us seriously. These are but a glimmer of the depth of what happened at the cross it wasn't just a death it was so much more wrapped up in all that jesus did for you and for me i pray that you take that into your heart that you face the challenges you have to face whether in your studies or in your work and you see that this world is infused with meaning because of what happened that day in calvary when the sun's light seemed to fade but god the sun's light was only beginning to shine bless you Thanks for listening. We hope to worship together with you soon at our next broadcast online at livechapel.twu.ca every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 11 a.m. You can also stay connected with us by following at TWU Chapel and at TWU Student Ministries. Much love.